Hello and welcome back to the show, Bambos. Are you keeping well and had a good start to 2022? It's been, um, so I've never been away and uh, so back into the swing of things, but it's been very interesting times here in Westminster. <laughs> yes, we're going to get on to that in terms of Westminster. But actually, I do want to start maybe on a nationwide level because 2022 has started with Labour making a few pledges. In fact, last month when we talked, you cheekily said you couldn't discuss any ideas because potentially the Conservatives might steal the ideas from your manifesto. But then earlier this month, Sakir Starmer announced a Labour government would treat mental health as seriously as physical health. Can you talk us through some of these ideas, Bambos? Yeah, so clearly with mental health, it's been, um, people have certainly been more aware of their mental health needs with the lockdown throughout the last couple of years with the pandemic. Uh, And this has brought more and more things to the forefront. Um, And uh, I think people are, are now, before it was quite a taboo subject to talk about mental health, uh, but now it's far more open and it's quite clear that the services available for mental health aren't anywhere near as um, um, as significant as they should be. So we want to make sure there's a lot more investment in mental health. Um, so what we want to do is like have um, um, treatment within a month. If you think about it, if you had a broken leg, you want, you know, you'd want it to be treated straight away. But if you've got a mental health issue and it can be as debilitating as a broken leg, um, although very differently, uh, obviously, um, then you you'd have to wait like a long time for to be seen or to get treatment is just wrong. So we'd want people to be treated within a month. So that's one of the things that we'd be looking on. But also we need to make sure we've got people who um, are qualified to treat people. So we want to expand like a mental health workforce um, and make sure that people do get the support they need for their mental health needs. The recent kind of proposals from the Conservative Party uh, with this special NHS funding, there's a lot of discussion about mental health with that. So do you believe that the government haven't gone far enough with their pledges on that situation? No, nowhere near. And they need to do far more to, I mean, you know, it's good that they're talking about mental health. So being open and talking about it is a really good thing. Um, And, you know, we need to make sure that there are far more services that uh, are available for people with mental health needs and that they're properly funded and um, they're available to people. They're they're more accessible at the moment. It's really hard to gain access to uh, mental health services and we need to make sure that changes. Now, one thing that some people will be critical about is your leader of the party, Sir Keir Starmer's stance on possibly this being an empty promise as he has an ever-changing stance on liberalising drug laws. Uh, Just a statistic for you, Bambos, you may know already, but 59% of drug users have said that they have mental health treatment needs as well. So looking at a quick timeline, in February last year, Sir Keir Starmer said that the government's current policy on drugs 
is roughly right. But then later that year, he expressed support for a relaxation of drug laws around Class A drugs in Scotland. However, now this month, in what appears to be a direct conflict with London, Labour Mayor Sadiq Khan and his ideas about decriminalisation, Keir Starmer has said he is not in favour of changing the law to decriminalise drugs. Can you clear up the party's position on this very important mental health related policy? Once again, it's um, there are lots of issues tied up here. I mean, still with the Scotland one, Scotland has got uh, a real emergency about people who are um, heroin users who are presenting to hospital or dying because they're um, they're using heroin. It, it, Scotland in particular has got a real problem with heroin use, uh, and I think that's what Keir was talking about with. Um, in Scotland about there is a need to deal with that as a public health emergency to make sure that those people who um, uh, are shooting up are able to, if they're going to do it, to do it in an environment where it is safe and maybe they can check what uh, they're putting into their um, into their arms or, you know, smoking. So, uh, so I think that's a particular need that is definitely a problem in Scotland. I don't think we have that degree of a problem in um, uh, in England and Wales, but I do think that Scotland has a particular problem. I think maybe he was talking about that one. Um, I mean, in in the rest of England and Wales, it is much harder because clearly a lot of the a lot of crime is f- fueled by drug supply. So some people might argue if. Um, um, if you decriminalised it, then it may not be. If if, you, if you're arresting people and hold and processing them through crime because they've got small amounts of cannabis, um, then that might not be uh, the best way of using our limited resources for our criminal justice system to penalise people. When you know some places you go to, you can't you know turn a street corner, you can smell the pungent whiff of um, somebody who's just smoked a joint so um and clearly if you there are smoking cannabis can lead to people um people's mental health being affected as well so that and that that is also a factor but the biggest thing is drugs lead to um drugs and, and we're talking about class a drugs here as well as um um Class B and C drugs, but Class A drugs uh, are being fueled by uh, the gangs and the violence that we see on our streets. A lot of it is drug related, and unless you address that, um, then you're never going to find um, it, it. Will always be with us. We'll always have that violence and um, and crime on our streets, uh, and so you need to deal with that. And I think we can't really have uh, a let up on on that. We can't be soft on drugs because that will. Um, you know, you're then going to be making people, um, they're going to be increasing crime. Um, and there is a link between people's mental health and taking um, some drugs. Um, but um, but we all need to take responsibility for it. So just um, because, that, you know, there, there are people in certain, certain classes who take cocaine at sort of... Um, um, you know, dinner parties and stuff. And I think they also need to like think about the responsibility that they have because if you limit the supply, the need for it, the demand for it, 
then you you limit that you reduce the supply as well. The, but it is a complex area. Well, this is the point that I was going to say is that in countries where they have decriminalised it, they've given you know situations where they can exchange needles or, or safely shoot up, as you said, in Scotland, uh, they've actually seen a reduction in crime and a reduction in the cost to police forces, uh, for example, Portugal, Switzerland. So kind of looking at that scientific evidence, why does the Labour Party continue to have this viewpoint when the evidence would say otherwise, especially in regards to mental health, that the change in decriminalisation, treating people who are addicted like they would be with alcohol, for example, with respect rather than criminalisation? I think it's... um, I think the problem with that would be you would still... You wouldn't affect the need for it. So, if even if it was decriminalised, there'd still be a big supply. So, you'd still have the um, you still have the big drug dealers who would still be getting richer uh, for um, supplying the drugs. So, you know, if you're talking about and, and those are the people that would lead to the violence elsewhere. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily, I agree that, you know, if you did have um, the ability to give people clean needles and uh, allow them to use it in a safe environment and weren't going after the, um, the victims of the, um, of, of the drugs, then that's, I, I don't have a problem with that because I think they do need the support and help and they do need to be able to um, get themselves clean if they want to. So again, it's about investing in health services. Um, but there's still a need to go after the people who um, do um, do supply the drugs and do lead to um, violence because of things like county lines and other things. They get young people to peddle the drugs for them, and that still leads to the violence. But I think the victims definitely need the support, and we should be supportive of them. So part of this talk, which was given to the Fabian Society, there was also discussions about Labour's plan to bring in a clear air act uh, to legally mandate pollution levels could you discuss again the potential manifesto pledge here yeah i mean i think um we do need to have clean air because it's a killer if we don't have clean air you know the pollution in the air uh, will will kill tens of thousands of people unless that's stressed uh, and it might be like an invisible and uh, silent killer but uh, it is there and it does cause problems. Uh, and unless we address that, then you could be losing loads of lives. Um, and we have to address it. It's as simple as that. So anything that helps reduce pollution um, would be, in my view, a good thing. So having some sort of um, um, clean air uh, strategy would be uh, very much welcome. Let's move on to... Sir Keir Starmer's comments on the 4th of January where he announced another set of pledges to the British people. This time it was security, prosperity and respect. But Bambus, what does this mean in terms of legislation? Well, I mean, clearly our policies, um, you know, are there to, you know, as they've been explained, we want people to feel safe in their communities um, to be able to um, have the opportunity to thrive. So we need to have an environment where people can get on in life, um, you know, have be able to afford their own home, be able to get um, a decent job, 
um, you know, have um, not have the, you know, reduce the cost of living crisis. So all these sorts of things are things that, you know, we, we'd be wanting to look at. So, um, but also, you know, just make sure that people, um, you know, that the respect side, that you do treat people with, with respect, you, you know, you don't have this, um, people who are, you know, feel marginalised because they don't feel part of something. So I think there is uh, a need to make sure that we stand up for um, for people that do don't have a voice, that don't feel that people are speaking up for them. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of like what we want to do, make sure that um, we look after uh, everybody and they we address their needs. And kind of delving more into this, Bambos, because like I said there, um, I, I was almost asking maybe again for specific legislation, like like we're talking about with the Fabian Society. But in 2019, Sir Keir Starmer had three-word slogan, integrity, authority, unity. In 2021 conference, he had stronger future together, which was then added to with work, care, equality, and security. But to the electorate, do, do these not seem flimsy bywords which may come across as disingenuous because they're, you know, you, you've talked about how you're appealing to people, but you haven't put in what legislation you would put in a manifesto to kind of back that up? Well, I mean, a manifesto is probably at least um, a year or two years away, depending on when the election is. But the things we want to do, I mean, obviously, we want to see things like. I want to make sure that you know crime and antisocial behaviour are properly addressed, and at the moment, um, people feel that they're not, and that's because we've seen cuts in the past to the police force. We've seen local authority having local authorities having cuts to their funding, to so they're less able to deal with antisocial behaviour, uh, and all that leads to an erosion of people feeling less safe. So that security aspect is very much part of that. So I'm sure we'll be seeing policies coming forward about. Uh, antisocial behaviour and policing sometime in the future. Um, and similarly, like the prosperity, um, uh, so just being able to feel um, safe, um, sorry, safe, but being able to feel um, a bit more secure in your uh, finances. Um, Rachel Reeves announced that she wants to have a, a windfall tax uh, on the um, energy companies because they're making a lot of money at the moment because of the increase um, in energy prices. So having a windfall tax, which we can then pass on to people to make sure that they're not um, suffering to the extent that they're um, um, they're not sort of um, massively out of pocket because of this increase to in, uh, in energy bills would certainly be what, another thing that we've said that we'll do. Um, and on the respect stuff, again, it's linked to the antisocial behaviour, but it is about sort of um, just treating people with dignity and not sort of trying to, um, it, it affects so many areas, but just making sure that um, people in, uh, you know, later on in life, they have the dignity and respect that we want for them. But equally people who are homeless, we mentioned people that are suffering from addictions, that they're all treated with um um, respect and um, we make sure that they're all looked after as well. So, uh, great investment in our health service, um, but also in mental health and uh, other aspects of care, like social care, would also be would come into that as well. Moving it from 
national and party-wide pledges. Last time we talked in our review of the year, we discussed your pledges for what you wanted to do when you elected in 2019. However, we don't want to go through that big list every time. Uh, So what are three pledges that you think are most important to you for 2022 that will resonate with your constituents that will help their most important needs? Well, first and foremost, it is being a good constituency MP. And that means listening to my constituents. It means like speaking up for them in Parliament, raising their concerns. Um, and I'll carry on trying to do that to the best of my ability. Obviously, I'll, I'll try and remain as accessible um, as I can to them and, uh, and obviously be accountable to them as well. So that's the first thing. So being more... Um, listening speaking up for them is uh, one priority um second one i guess would be to make sure we fight for more funding for local services uh, in in the borough i'm school governor schools are facing a huge um pinch on their finances part of that is linked to um particularly the primary schools are seeing a decline in their um in school numbers and that's um occurrence because of a, a slight dip in the birth rate um but um but equally there's we need to make sure there's more investment in our health services that's not just uh, hospitals but also gps and dentists people have complained to me about not being able to um join a gp surgery or um a, a dental surgery because um they're outside a catchment area and they're not taking on um any more uh, patients uh, and that needs to be addressed, uh, and that's more of a long-term thing. But also linked to that is also funding for local authorities um, and for uh, local services. So clearly, um, Enfield Council have had huge budget cuts over the last 10 years. Uh, I'd very much welcome more investment to be put into local authorities so they can fund local services, things like youth services and better services for um special needs and um, and for children's mental health services. So those are the sort of things I very much see more money spent on. And I guess the last one, well, I, I, I'm now the Shadow Minister for Middle East and North Africa. So probably trying to do that to the best of my abilities as a Shadow Minister to hold the government to account would be probably the third one. Um, so, yeah, I guess they would be my three. Um, yeah, it's probably more, but that's that, that would do for now. Well, it's, it's interesting, Bambelson. Obviously, through the year, we will discuss these issues with you, obviously, at the end of the year as well. I'm not trying to wish time away, but we will revisit it as well. Now, I think people will be hanging on for this one because the most emailed in topic that we have had in a while, possibly ever, is the ongoing party gate scandal. Uh, we've previously talked about the ministerial code it might not be fit for purpose uh, and discussions around that and it seems possible that it has once again been broken Um, what has happened in the past seemingly is quite often the code has been broken and nothing has happened to the offending individual why bambos then has the civil servant sue gray got so much power to decide as to whether the prime minister has broken the code and broken the law 
Well, I think we've, what we've got is a rogue government. So when people were found to have broken the code in the past, they would have resigned. Uh, we saw what happened with um, when Priya Patel was found to have broken the code. Um, Boris Johnson refused to sack her. So the person who did the investigation um, had to walk. Uh, they had to resign. Um, but um, I think in relation to Partygate and Boris Johnson's um, uh, very blatant uh, breaching of the rules. Uh, I think that would have been the would have been investigated by Simon Case, who's the cabinet secretary, would have been the right person to do that. But clearly, he was implicated in uh, having attended a party of um, his own. Um, but it does need to be investigated, and there does need to be a finding of fact. I think the difference here is that um, this cannot be just swept under the carpet because it is such a serious issue. And it has, it's had cut through because people are drawing parallels with their own experience. I've had people contact me who said, who, you know, I've had dozens of emails come in from people saying, uh, I wasn't able to see a loved one who was at hospital or in a care home because at the time the rules didn't permit it. And yet number 10 were having a party. Uh, and, you know, there was, um, you know, they were just disregarding the rules and yet they were telling us to follow them. And I think this one rule for them, another one for us, is really cutting through. And that's why it's so important that it is seen to be investigated seriously. Um, and that's why I think Supre has got a, a tough job on her hands to uh, to investigate this. But I do I do hope that she does a good job and, um, and, and I'm sure she'll come to the obvious conclusion is that the, these parties went on and rules were broken. As you've said there, it's the Sue Gray report that a lot of this is resting upon. But you have said, uh, as you've just said in the interview there, that you believe that Boris Johnson has committed wrongdoing. You've said that Boris Johnson has, quote, taken the public for fools. So if Sue Gray's report does not go far enough and there is no follow up to this, what will the Labour Party do? We'll be pushing for him to resign. We've called, uh, I mean, I was in PMQs uh, yesterday and the week before, uh, and the um, virtually everybody was calling for him to resign on the opposition benches because, I mean, even David Davis uh, told him to go. And David Davis has been a former Home Secretary and uh, a former leadership candidate in the past. So for, for people calling for him to go, um, um, I think minds have been made up about that certainly on our benches so we'll certainly carry on pushing for that because we don't think uh, based on what he's done that he is fit for public office anymore he's lost the trust of the public um, and once you lose the trust of, of, of the people then it's hard to see how you can properly govern now adding to this you've talked about the loss of the trust of the public. And a lot of people are also criticising the police force. Your fellow party member, Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting, has said that the Met's claims seem implausible and the police must pursue the investigation without fear or favour and treat the Prime Minister and his staff as they would anyone else. Adding to this, Lib Dem leader Ed Davies said Chrysida Dick mustn't let him off the hook through a shady establishment stitch-up. If, again, the Sue Gray report does not find wrongdoing, do you believe that the Met Police Services need evaluating as well? I mean, clearly, if um, they were giving out loads of fines at the time, people who were breaching the rules 
Um, and if there's a finding of fact that the rules were breached, then fines should follow. There should be uh, prosecutions. You, you, again, you cannot have one rule for one, one rule for another. And also, I mean, um, I saw a um, um, I saw a meme of people saying, yeah, you can never find any police outside number 10. Or, oh, whoops, there is a police officer outside number 10 all the time. So the idea that they, there was, you know, what, not a knowledge of the party by, um, you know, by the police. I mean, they're the ones who guard number 10. So I think it, would, um, it wouldn't be too hard to see people like going out carrying suitcases of booze to realize that a party was going on. Um, but, um, but if Sue Gray's report does find a finding of a fact, a fact that there was parties going on, then uh, there should be a police investigation. People should be prosecuted and find the same as anyone else. Now, in the fallout of the Partygate affair, we've seen a lot of... Uh you know, discussions between parties, as you said there, a lot of people are calling for the head of the Prime Minister, but also we have seen the Labour Party actually get a new member through this. There was a defector from the Conservatives in Christian Waitford. He was welcomed by Kistama. Do you share that welcoming sentiment? Yeah, I think if people feel they cannot, um, they can no longer be a member of the um, Conservative Party, because of the way it's run so shabbily and they feel they uh, they want to join the Labour Party because we represent the values that they believe in, then uh, very much do welcome people to join our party and the more that um, join, the better. Looking at Christian Wakeford, though, you said there, does he express the values of the Labour Party? Just in terms of discussions that you and I have had on Radio Verulam, he's consistently voted against preventions to climate change, to reducing tax avoidance, and something that you've spoken quite passionately about in terms of asylum seekers having safe travel through to the UK. He said quite often they are travelling through many safe countries, essentially they have a shopping cart trolley as to what they want in this economic migration. Do you really want to share the party with a person who has those kind of sentiments? Well, clearly he said things in the past that I would uh, vehemently disagree with. Um, but um, clearly there's pressure on Tory MPs to follow this, the whip. Um, and he may want to reflect on what he may have said in the past. Um, so it's... Um, I like to think he's had an epiphany and uh, would have changed his views on a lot of those things. Um, but... Um, you know, what's in the past is in the past and we'll see what he says in the future. Uh, but uh, ironically, uh, Christian Wakeford is one of the Tory MPs or former Tory MPs and former Tory MP now who's uh, on my corridor in Parliament. So I've actually seen him, spoken to him a few times. Um, so, um, you know, he seems like a nice bloke to me uh, on the periphery. Um, but um, so I'm sure I get to know his views a lot better over the course of time. But clearly he would have to follow the Labour whip if he wants to carry on as a Labour MP. Uh, and he'll be voting against some of those um, things he voted for when he was a Tory. And we, we've got things like Lords Amendments to the Police Crime Sense and the Courts Bill coming back. We'll have the Borders Bill coming back. So um, he'll be expected to vote in line with the Labour whip. As simple as that, and um, and that will mean sort of um, um, changing his views on what's been said in the past. 
I mean, is this uh, an exclusive here that because he was on the same corridor as you, was, were you agent Bambos Charalambos and managed to convince him personally to, to join the Labour Party? Uh, if only I had such persuasive uh, power. Um, um, uh, I don't think it was anything to do with me, but uh, I'm sure we had conversations with other Labour colleagues who are far more senior and far more um, uh, involved in those tasks than me. But um, um, it, it just happens that you, you do bump into like certain Tories on the uh, on your in your building in your corridor, so you, you do just say hello to them, have a quick chat with them about whatever. But um, um, but yeah, it was just uh, very strange uh, that he was, um, you know, he's at the, his office at the end of my corridor. But uh, there you go. Uh, just one final thing on this then. So going forward, uh, I've looked at rule three of the Labour Party rulebook and it says that the party shall bring together members and supporters who share its values to develop policies. So does this mean that Christian Wakeford will either have to, as you said there, follow the party whip or be convinced to do so. I mean, is he suddenly going to change what has been years because he's been in the Conservative Party for a very long time? Suddenly he's going to have Labour values enfrusted upon him. I mean, again, is that is that right that somebody who is not really Labour through choice but through necessity? Well, I'm... I heard him um, being interviewed um, yesterday, and I think they said that I think he said that he'd spent a long time thinking about this, and so it wasn't a decision that he'd reached um, overnight. Uh, it was um, something that he'd finally um, come round to eventually. That uh, the Tory Party wasn't a party for him because it wasn't what he expected it to be like. So, um, and I'm sure there are others who show fr- frustration. Um, so, um, and, and people join political parties for lots of different reasons, have lots of different views. Um, but also, the party that he was um, opposing back in 2019 is the Labour Party then is very different from the Labour Party now. Um, so, I think there has been a change in the Labour Party, and maybe that's what's convinced him to um, be able to join now. Let's move it to the community questions. And as always, as I like to remind people when we make the switch during the uh, broadcast, do email in jason.mckenna at radioverulam.com. If you do have questions, you can DM us, you can slide into our social media inboxes through the month as well if you've got anything on your mind. But let's go to Michael's question first and foremost. And this is linked to Operation, I think it's called Red Meat, isn't it, uh, Bambos, in terms of the discussions around the BBC. He has asked, I believe that the BBC should have some changes, definitely more accountability, but I'm worried about its future under Conservatives. What are your thoughts on its future, Bambos? Yeah, I totally share Michael's concerns. I mean, I think this is... um, an attack on one of the most, um, if not the most famous uh, of British uh, institutions. Um, the, um, you know, we've seen the amazing programmes that have been produced by the BBC that would not necessarily have been produced by any other um, broadcasting company. Things like Green Planet, I mean, it's just um, spellbinding just watching that and the many programmes that have been produced uh, by um, David Attenborough. So I think, you know, it's things like that are just... Um, 
fantastic. And just the, the, the fact that the BBC has such a reputation internationally. Uh, I mean, I've heard people say that um, had it not been for the BBC broadcasting in a very, uh, the world service uh, on, um, and just being able to give this impartial view of what's going on in the world, uh, gave them both um, faith and confidence um, that, you know, there was hope for, for their struggle. So things like that are very important. So we would always defend the BBC and fight for its public service broadcasting. That's something we, you know, are determined to call for. Um, yes, there is an issue about the licence fee. Maybe it is a bit outdated and does need to be reviewed. Um, but, and it needs to be fair. But uh, I think it does help the BBC do what it does best. Um, so... Um, to use it in such a way just to try and um, divert attention from Boris Johnson's woes is just really appalling. And um, and instead of having a proper discussion uh, about what the best way to fund the BBC for the future is, uh, this is not the way to treat one of our most um, prestigious uh, broadcasting institutions um, in this country. And we need to make sure that that's... Um, that isn't allowed to, to happen, which is another reason why we need to get rid of the Tories. Let's move it on to Sandra's question. And she's asked, with the very recent uh, announcements around the COVID-19 restrictions, she's asked, what is the medical evidence for removing the COVID-19 restrictions? Or she asked, in her opinion, is this a political move in Operation Save Big Dog? I think it's. Um, I think it's definitely more of the latter. Um, infection rates are going down. There are. There'll still be people going to hospitals, but not in the numbers that were expected. Um, so I think we need to like be very cautious about these lifting restrictions. Uh, I'll certainly be working. Be wearing my um, face covering when I travel on public transport when I go. Uh, shopping in Morrison's or Sainsbury's, uh, I'll be wearing my mask there. Um, and um, uh, and I think even though the the R rate is in decline and it means that the infection rate is going to eventually um, go down and we'll have far fewer infections and, and the people who are infected, the majority will either be um, triple vaxxed and had their booster so they won't be as badly in- infected by it. We still need to tread um, cautiously here um, because the the virus hasn't gone away and we need to be quite um, uh, wary of that. And the last thing I want to do is just see another spike and the re- restrictions having to come back. So I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but the figures that I've seen do show it going down and the number of people being hospitalised also coming down as well, but we mustn't uh, be complacent. So let's move it to George's question. He's asked, Keir Starmer promised common ownership and he wanted to end outsourcing in the NHS, but at the start of 2022, West Streeting has said that Labour would use private providers to cut NHS waiting lists. How is this in keeping with the party line? Well, ideally, we wouldn't have to use them because we wouldn't have the um, crisis we do have in the health service. Um, but when you've got six million people on waiting lists, and you know, 
and people are going to have to be waiting for two years to get the treatment they need. Um, the only place we can get that spare capacity will be in the private sector, unfortunately. And much as I would prefer us not to have to do that, uh, to bring down those waiting lists, we will just have to, um, you know, make best use of whatever spare capacity there is uh, to bring those waiting lists right down. Um, and if you think about sort of people that will, that will have need to have you know, surgery on, say, knee joints or hip replacements, having to wait two years in absolute agony is just not acceptable for them. Um, so I do think it's, um, it wouldn't be my preferred choice, but I do think if we can find any spare capacity, we should try and use that and bring those waiting times right down. And then when you have a Labour government and proper investment, they'll stay low, uh, as they were when Labour left office. They were, you wouldn't have to wait more than, I think it was about eight weeks for, uh, an operation and now it's um, looking at two years. And I know that's partly due to the pandemic, but it was going up anyway prior to the pan- uh, pandemic uh, hitting our shores. So do you think that there needs to be a review of the party pledge then, that it would be common ownership and end outsourcing, outsourcing as much as possible? Well, I wouldn't uh, have to speak to Wes about what uh, he's got in store for the Labour policy. But um, I do think that um, um, we want to bring the waiting list down um, and uh, that has to be a priority for us because that has a real impact on people's lives. Um, But I do think we need to have proper investment and make sure that we do uh, ensure the NHS is properly funded uh, and... um, my preference is for it to be uh, restored to public ownership. Kimberley has moved the discussion on to a local issue, I think. Uh, she says, thank you so much for standing up for the rights for disabled children. What do you think needs to be done to address the delays in assessment? Um, really good question. Um, I mean, the problem is the... There's a shortage of occupational therapists who can assess children that uh, need um, specialist equipment. So certainly addressing that um, and just making the system a lot more efficient than it currently is because uh, the delays in assessments mean that if you have a child, by the time they're assessed and the equipment is provided, it's no longer fit for purpose because the children will have grown. So we need to have a system where things can happen much, much quicker um, and um, the procurement also has to be quicker as well. So uh, more OTs, more occupational therapists, and um, certainly uh, a better procurement system would be far better in my view. Um, the occupational therapist thing is a recruitment thing that will take time, but we do need to like invest in these areas because otherwise children will suffer. Uh, just a follow-up question on that, Bambos. Uh, with other questions that we've been sent in but also from my own research uh, quite often with these kind of uh, occupational assessments and then when the equipment is given after it has been used the usual situation is that the equipment is then destroyed it is not washed or cleaned or uh, kind of given to another patient is that something in the future that you as uh, a Labour Party uh, member is going to work towards solving that maybe there can be ways to find second uses or proper recycling of this equipment? 100% I think where, where it can be reused and recycled then 
certainly um, that should be recommended. Um, but sometimes because of the bespoke nature of the equipment, it is sometimes hard to recycle it. Um, but I think where it can, it should be and uh, be reused. So uh, that might be another option that can be looked at because that might also help speed up the um, um, the provision of the equipment and help disabled children um, have their needs stressed. Susan says, I was so shocked to hear about the cockroach infestation at a kebab shop in Ponders End. How can we check if food places are safe to eat? I worry about my family getting ill from these sorts of places. Well, I think we can be very proud of the um, of the food hygiene inspectors that are employed by the boroughs uh, to go around and carry out these inspections to make sure that um, we don't have um, shops that are unhygienic and uh, don't take the care that we would expect from fast food and uh, other out, other restaurants, other outlets. Um, so one of the things is I know they have this um, um, star system whereby you can see how many stars that uh, a restaurant scores for the hygiene. So we want to make sure that that is um, that there are regular inspections uh, and that those. Um, um, those restaurants that fall below the standards are exposed and they do they are publicized so people uh, can make a choice as to whether they go to those establishments or not um, and um, and that those are prominently displayed so if you've got to go to a place that's only got one star you can make a choice about whether you go there or not uh, in, uh, in comparison to a place next door or across the road that's got five stars so that gives you an I'll give you an idea as to which one is more hygienic and which one would better help you. So I think that having very clear distinctions as to what's hygienic and what isn't is very important. Having regular inspections is very important uh, and making sure that uh, there is a thorough inspection and that those places that are breaching the rules are named and shamed is also very uh, important as well. I mean, one of the problems with the STAR system is that businesses in England are not legally obliged to display them on the premises. So do you think that maybe going forward, this is something that you could work on yourself? I don't know if that is within your capacity, but to have that legally enforced so that people can have the kind of peace of mind when they go into these establishments? Well, I think uh, I think they should have to display them uh, in a prominent position, if not in the shop window, then certainly inside the premises, um, because it does give you an indication as to um, uh, how good they are. So I would certainly support that. Um, but clearly, if they're not displaying it, then that gives you a clue as to why they're not displaying it. So certainly, if you see some restaurants um, having four or five stars uh, displayed probably on their window and others not, then... Again, make your own mind uh, based on that. Let's move it to Nick's question. He says, Labour is the party of the workers first and foremost. What are your beliefs around the introduction of a four-day working week that has been talked about being trialled? Um, sounds very interesting. I know it's um, something that's... Um, I think they tried it somewhere in America and they found that productivity didn't go down um, by much at all um, and that people actually valued having the um, uh, the day off when it, whenever it was. I think it was more likely to be a Friday than 
any other day. Um, so I think that's an interesting experiment and something we should certainly um, look at. Uh, I'm all for flexible working. Uh, when I worked as a lawyer at uh, Hanley Council, we had flexible working, so I was able to do... Um, I was able to like have do my hours in nine days instead of ten and have the tenth day off. Um, so it certainly worked for me. So I, I do recommend that because it does allow you more flexibility in what you do. Uh, as long as the work gets done, then I think that's quite an interesting experiment, and we should um, we should certainly explore that. Tina has moved the discussion on to a very local issue. She says, "I'm extremely annoyed at the local council. They have." wasted taxpayers' money on a court case against building more housing. I think the plan by developer Chase New Homes to redevelop Black Horse Tower and Cockfosters Road is a great as it provides much needed housing. There's less environmental damage. There's no building on the green belt and reusing existing unwanted buildings. Surely this is the sort of development Enfield Council should be welcoming. I don't know if you know about that case, Bambos, but do you have any thoughts and feelings on it? Um, I do have concerns uh, about this particular development because I think one of the problems is the um, the properties they want to build uh, in the tower block. Uh, I think they, they're going to be mainly one and two bed properties. So there are very few family properties there as well. Also, it's a big development uh, just off Cockfosters Road. If anyone's driven uh, up Cockfosters Road at weekends or at peak times, they know it's um, uh, that there are long tailbacks. So having these additional having these additional um, homes there would also um, cause a problem um, because of um, lack of parking spaces, but also car use will also um, expand there. Uh, I mean, on the principle of actually using more uh, office space for um, accommodation, I mean, the, the only concern is that the, the, the office was built for a particular purpose. And sometimes even if you try and convert it, it doesn't always work and isn't always uh, high quality accommodation. It can work, but not always. So I'm just a bit skeptical about something that isn't uh, a purpose built um, block for residential accommodation. Um, and but we'll see. We'll see what, what transpires there. But um, I think the location isn't great, even though it's an existing tower block. Um, that the impact it will have on the area on local services would also be uh, bad. So I do have concerns about it. So with this particular one, you're not for it. But in terms of Tina's question there, do you agree with some of her sentiments that these types are, are quite good in the sense that less environmental damage or, or are you kind of on the, the belief, as you've expressed already, that sometimes it's more hassle to actually kind of redo these blocks up? I think you ought to take them on a case-by-case basis. Um, so I do I do think sometimes if done right and in, in the right location, it can work. Um, but I think you, you know, I'm very much of the score that you need to have very high standards in, in relation to your, uh, any properties that are developed and built. And I think more often than not, um, these sorts of developments are very um, uh, cheap and nasty. Uh, in um, how they're done and they're just done to turn around a fast buck so um, uh, for me the jury's out on that one I would I would much rather welcome a development that's 
um, sufficiently spacious of a high standard and that was affordable. Uh, my concern also about this one is that uh, the affordability of some of these blocks, uh, some of these units may not be <clears throat> that great for people either. So that's another concern. But uh, it, yeah, it's like, I, I still need to look at them on a case by case basis. Antonia has the last question for this month and she said I saw you went to the theatre to see Patrick Samuel's performance do you believe that more people need to go out and support our fantastic art we don't always need to go into London for a fantastic show and she's also asked uh, an interesting follow up are you a big fan of David Bowie (laughs) (laughs) well um Yes, I think there is a lot of local talent and we certainly should support um, local artists. We're, we're very blessed um, in Enfield with people like Patrick Samuel, who is um, a brilliant performer and a fantastic artist. So uh, if you do get a chance, do see his um, his work um, uh, or do go and see him perform. Just things in our parks. I mean, I, I'm, I've been at Broomfield Park and they have... Uh, they have blues in the summer. They've got uh, there's the brilliant Our Voices Choir that performs in what was the former um, Bowling Green, um, and um, you can certainly sing along to a lot of their numbers. Um, and also local theatre groups that also perform in the summer as well. So there's a lot to see. We've got fabulous theatres at Chicken Shed and also Millfield that have uh, brilliant things programmed there. Um, um, so. Yeah, I do think we we really need to think about using or going to our looking at what's available locally and supporting local um, the local art scene. Um, am I David Bowie fan? Uh, yes, I do like uh, David Bowie. Uh, I, I'm not I, I'm not the biggest fan in the world, but um, um, he's written some great numbers, and I do um, yeah I do like his uh, music. I mean the um, yeah, so many songs from bygone days. I mean, you know, Changes is now a, a very popular song that you, you know, hear on adverts. Um, uh, obviously, you've got sort of, um, um, you know, Life on Mars, uh, Ashes to Ashes. Um, you've got China Girl, uh, you know, fabulous songs. Uh, and he was really uh, one of our great pop hero is a real cult uh, icon so um yeah i think he I think he did a good job and he even had time to appear on extras with ricky gervais as well <laughs> well he was a fairly local hero as well in one sense you know one of uh, london's own yeah. but bambos as always uh, very informative to chat to you i hope that the people of the area found this as useful as always you'll be back again next month but until then i wish you the best of health and we will chat again very soon Thank you, Jason.